Welcome to Inside Personal Growth Podcast. Deep dive with us as we unlock the secrets to personal development, empowering you to thrive. Here, growth isn't just a goal, it's a journey. Tune in, transform, and take your life to the next level by listening to just one of our podcasts. Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyce and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And that beautiful young woman on the other side joining us from Newport Beach, California, which is not her home, but she's on the road right now. For all of you who can see, there's a lot of her books behind there. Uh, Jennifer McCollum. Jennifer, would you like to hold up one of those books, please? So our audience knows. Uh, The book is called In Her Own Voice. And we are going to be speaking with Jennifer McCollum this morning. And Jennifer, good day to you. How are you doing? Good day to you, Greg. It is such a pleasure to be with you, to be in California, where I've spent the last two days signing 750 books. It's a really exciting time. Well, that is awesome. And I hope that all those people that get your book understand the message and read it and really do something with it because you've really written words of wisdom here. And I'm going to let the audience know a little bit about you. She's the CEO of Linkage a SHRM company, for all of you who don't know what SHRM, it's Society for Human Resource Management, um, where she oversees the strategic direction and global operations of the leadership development firm. She has delivered workshops, keynotes, webinars, and podcasts to thousands of leaders globally uh, on live and virtual stages, including 100 Leaders Live, Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches Conference. She and I talked about Marshall. Used to live right here in San Diego County, and I used to walk with him on Saturday mornings. Um, Chief Learning Officer Exchange, uh, Chester Elton's Leading with Gratitude, uh, LinkedIn Live, John Baldoni's Grace Under Pressure, LinkedIn Live, Candy O'Terry's, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, This book just is coming out, being released, as you can see, and we're doing this podcast. She's been published in the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Chief Talent Development Officer, CEO, Refresher, and Real Leaders, and she's a member of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches. Well, you've got a great bio, and you're a person who's done a lot of deep thinking about women in leadership and really, as you said earlier, guys as well. So we're approaching both of you out there who are listening today. And, you know, Jennifer, right off the bat, you know, you stated in the book that there has long been a shortage of women at the highest levels of leadership. And, you know, I think any, if you look at the yin and the yang and the feminine energy and the masculine energy and all that we've been dealing with as a country. Um, You look at our Congress right now, can't get it together. um, And it's a bunch of, for the most part, it's a lot of men, uh, a lot of older men. um, And I'm not trying to be biased here, but you mentioned that only 10% of Fortune 500 CEOs are women and 1% are women with color. Um, So what's the issue? And how did the pandemic change things? And why did you write this book? And why now? Well, Greg, you you started with quoting in the book, there has long been a shortage of women leaders. So let's just set the context for a minute. And then I can talk about what's changed a bit. 
So long been a shortage for generations, women have not been represented and still aren't um, equitably in the leadership ranks. It is getting better. A, a, a new study just came out last week, the McKinsey Lean-In Study that tracks this. And um, yes, we did cross the 10% barrier and the Fortune 500 CEOs. We, we joke a little bit lovingly now that there are as finally as many women CEOs in the Fortune 500 as there are men named John. And so we, we were making progress, but we have a long way to go. And as you point out, only 1% of those are women of color. The challenge, however, starts way back at the beginning. So men and women enter the workforce at roughly the same percentage, about 48% women. But the problem starts at that very first promotion to manager, where it's becomes 60% men, 40% women. And by the time you move down the pipeline, the numbers that are most distressing are right there in the middle. That director to senior leader, senior director women, and the manager level women are not changing. They've barely changed one to 2% in the last decade. And so why is that? Well, there are a couple of reasons and we never want to um, make men the bad guy, but the truth is it's a numbers game. So when you start losing women in the pipeline early, by the time you get to the senior leader levels, there aren't enough there. But the other piece, and this is again, where we really need all men and women at the executive level, but 70% are, are men and the majority white men, they need to see their role in how to solve the gender equity gap. And this is where we move beyond talking kind of to the head about the data and the business case that is so well documented for women in leadership and diversity in leadership at all levels. And we start talking to the heart and we start talking about men with daughters and men who see the benefit for them as they help women rise at all levels of leadership. And, and we can talk more about that, but what has changed, and you asked the question to begin with, is that COVID really changed a lot of things. The way we live, the way we love, the way we lead, the way we parent, and coming out now for the last several years, what we're starting to hear, and this is reinforced in our leadership data, is that the expectations of leadership are changing. And mm -hmm. words that you hear now about what the most effective leaders do and words like empathy or vulnerability or openness, transparency, inclusion, those are actually the evolving expectations of leadership and women by and large spike really highly on those evolving leadership expectations. And so the world is so well positioned right now to really support the acceleration of gender equity in leadership. So that's a long answer to your question, but it was well, a big question. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, as I see these interviews, even in our military, our military in the U.S., I'm not certain, but others, but, you know, we have seen a shift in the way in which people even in the military are addressing it. I think that, you know, um, Kudos to the U.S. government for seeing this, uh, promoting more women leaders. Um, I think it's it's well needed, especially in an area where we're we see so much strife going on. Right. So, you know, you mentioned, and I think this is an important point um, that it was discovered that women leaders perform better, they stay at their companies longer, and they advance their careers. When, or when the organization properly addresses what you refer to as these four critical dimensions. 
if you would, I think for our listeners, it would be quite valuable. Um, what are the, mention the four critical dimensions you refer to as the strategic uh, framework to advance women leaders? I'm so glad you start there because a lot of times people who want to talk about advancing women in leadership want to start with the women themselves. And I want to be super clear. This is not about fixing women leaders. Women by and large are fantastic leaders. As I mentioned before, when we look in our database, where I always like to start is where you started, which is what we call the advancing women leaders strategic framework. And it answers the question, what do organizations and leaders in those organizations need to do to solve this problem? And the first is looking really squarely at their culture. And we we track this data, this we call our organizational assessment. We track the perception of women toward their organizations. And we've got 20,000 women in our database. And we ask them related to the culture, do you feel like you belong here? Is your uniqueness valued? Because we know if it doesn't create the conditions, the culture for women can thrive, they won't choose your organization, nor will they stay. The second is around what we call people processes and systems. And this is, the, this is your talent systems in your organization. And the question here is, are your talent systems equitable? When you're looking at the talent acquisition process, so bringing women into the organization, listen, I, I hear so many times where women will say, even inside the organization, a job opened up. A man was placed into the job and the job closed, and we didn't even know that it was available. And so that's an example of inequity in talent systems. But you can look at pay, you can look at promotion, you can look at stretch experiences or succession. So that's talent systems. The third is the hardest one, and that's called executive action or commitment. And this is when, when women look up in the organization, do they feel like there are executives who truly care and are committed and are taking action to advance women leaders. And this could look like um, executive sponsorship um, or executives being very vocal about the goals in the organization and how the leaders are going to be held to those goals for the advancement of women or people of color. And then there's the last one. And the last one is, is my personal favorite. It's the second lowest scoring, but it's the one we can all do something about. And that's leadership development for women. Now, really important point when you, and I get this all the time. Well, if we focus on leadership development for women, aren't we excluding the men? And here's the truth. What it takes to be an exceptional leader is the same across the spectrum of gender. Linkage has a whole other set of data and research and perspective on that. We call it purposeful leadership. But the path to leadership is different for women. We experience unique challenges. We call them hurdles. And mm. they are higher than others face. And that's what we need to focus on. Helping women become aware of those hurdles and helping all leaders and organizations support women in overcoming them. Well, you know, you face hurdles just like men do, I think, and you've said that. And I think there's the human element side of this, and then there's the process kind of side of it. And in the, the human element side, the psychological hurdles, this show is about personal growth. Um, I wanna address this inner critic. Um, you know, much of the book is focused on what you refer to as these hurdles that women face, but these could also be hurdles that men are facing as well. Um, and you address these hurdles for our listeners. I'd like for you to, and especially 
this mega hurdle that never goes away, according to you, um, which is the inner critic. And that is true no matter what sex you are. Um, and the journey that women need to take to face these hurdles, because it is a journey. There's a lot of other hurdles, but this one is probably one of the biggest hurdles, is our inner voice, which the ego is saying, you're not good enough. Uh, you can't do this. Um, and this is prevalent everywhere. You're absolutely right. And, and you started at an important point, which is all of us face an inner critic. It's just that the woman's inner critic is a little bit louder and it can prevent us from taking action. And I'm, I'm going to tell a story because I think it illustrates it best. So we start with the inner critic. We call it the uber hurdle. It's the one that weaves its way through all of the other hurdles because it amplifies them and it makes the others worse and harder to overcome. The trick is to get in touch with your inner hurdle, to become aware of it and to pause and to become more compassionate with yourself and to question that inner critic. So here's my story. Uh, when I uh, was approached, and this is about five years ago, I was approached by a, a very well-known headhunter, headhunting organization, about the potential for me to be the CEO of Linkage. Now, I was, I was taking a, a small sabbatical to try and figure out and get clear about what I wanted to do next. And on paper, this seemed like the perfect job. But my inner critic went crazy. And it and it sounded like this. You're not ready to be a CEO. You've never been a CEO before. You need to be a number two first so you can be properly groomed. Or a CEO has to manage her way all the way down the P&L, the balance sheet, the cash flow. You, you've never had to do that in publicly traded companies. You've only stopped at the gross margin line. You don't know enough about finance, OPEX, EBITDA, net income. You're not ready. And my favorite was, what kind of mother are you? You've got a kid in elementary school and middle school and high school with a big job taking you to Boston every other week from Washington, D.C. You cannot be the type of mom you want to be with that job. So it was relentless, this, these voices that were really preventing me from even responding to the opportunity. And I'll tell you in a moment how I overcame it. So does that inner hurdle well, does that resonate? Yeah, does it resonate yeah. with you as a man? Well, one of the things, you know, that you mentioned in the book um, is that you used to get your clarity, which was one of the hurdles. Um, and actually, Bill Burnett has been on the show, Designing Your Life. And you took this sabbatical to actually take the course that Bill and Dave Edwards created. And... I went through it as well, and I understand how important it is, but I'd like you to take a few minutes, if you would, to talk to the audience about, you know, this process that you went through to get this clarity um, and really advise our listeners about creating a clarity statement, because this is the point in your life where things were very conflicted. Um, you had all these inner critics. But you found this great little course and took this little bit of a sabbatical. And I love Bill Burnett. I mean, he's wonderful. Um, so I think that uh, it's probably this isn't a plug for them, but it is a plug for what they do. Yeah. So and clarity is that we, we actually introduced the hurdles in order. And clarity is one of the earliest hurdles. And the idea is you, if you can overcome one of the earlier hurdles, it will help you with the rest of them. 
And, and clarity is one of the ways I overcame my inner critic back to the original story. So what had happened during that time and, and the reason I reached for Bill Burnett's book, by the way, there are many ways to get clarity. We right. talk about those in the book. It's this, that's not the only way, but it was one of the things that I chose and that designing your life book is based on design thinking principles applied to your own life. And so I spent, I actually spent many weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to quit your job to do this, by the way. I did right. it with a group of girlfriends who I call them my visionista group. And we were committed to making our lives better and supporting each other in doing so. I personally was focused on my career. Another friend was focused on relationship. Um, another friend was focused on her um, her health. So um, clarity comes from getting in touch with what brings you joy, what brings you energy. Conversely, what's what drags you down? Um, and, and how do you fill up um, your, uh, your fuel tank, if you will? And so for me, Coming from publicly traded companies, the easiest thing for me to do in my job search would have been to jump to another publicly traded company and run a business unit. I'd been doing that for the better part of 12 years. I was talking to the Deloitte's and the Accenture's and the uh, the, the Miller-Hymans, the, the Hydrix and Struggles, but I, I wasn't, I, as I talked to those companies, my heart was not full and it felt mm-hmm. draining to me. So in the designing your life um, process, you actually prototype your life multiple different ways. And so that was the easy thing that I could have done. The next thing it was, but if that doesn't work, what might you do? So the the second um, thing that I explored was, well, I've been a consultant before. What if I start my own business again? Or what if I go work for another startup? And so then I explored down that track and I had conversation after conversation and it was fascinating. There were opportunities But again, there was something inside of me that said, but you love a platform. You love a team. You love data and intellectual property that you can productize and bring to market. You love creating a vision, a a large vision that takes people and money and resources to to execute. What about this middle market size company where you could be a CEO or a number two? And Greg, I tell you, as I started exploring that kind of 20 to $100 million size companies where I could conceptualize myself as a senior leader, maybe not the CEO, but I could see myself at the C-suite table, I started to get very clear um, mm-hmm. that that's what I wanted. And I explored nonprofits in that space. I explored um, academic roles like um, executive education. And then I discovered private equity-backed portfolio companies. Greg, I didn't even know what private equity was. I didn't understand the business model of private equity. But once I started down that path of prototyping my life and telling people what I wanted, the size of company, the role that I had in the leadership space, the universe conspired to help me get that. And within 90 days, I had three different job opportunities that was that I was actively pursuing completely different from the publicly traded space or the startup space. So well, that's in that clear. private equity in that private equity segment, you know, they're really looking for a leader and they're giving leaders usually autonomy. Um, and I think you're a very curious woman. Um, I can see that. And nobody is going to um, repress your curiosity to to come up with new ideas and figure out what to do. But you know, in this inner critic you had a diagram in the book that spoke to, I think, the listeners and us. And the fact is that it was uh, 
grounded in the expectations we place on ourselves. And I think, you know, no matter what it is, um, you know, if we get tied up into expectations, whether they're internal or they're external, um, there's a challenge with that. Um, there's an old Buddhist philosophy around that. Um, don't get tied to the expectations um, or get attached to them, I should say, because life works the way it's going to work. There's kind of a master plan. Talk about the one up or one, I should say, the one down or one up concept. Uh, I found it interesting. And also, if you wouldn't, the same kind of question rolled into that. You have this free assessment at Sherm.com. ORG that people can take around calming the inner critic. So I love that you're going deeper and deeper into the inner critic and you talked about expectations internally or expectations externally. And mm -hmm. when we when we speak about the inner critic, we actually focus purely internally because that's what you can try at to control. Right? We're not going to control the external bias or the external expectations that people, life family, uh, boss may well, place on you, but we can yeah. look at how we internalize that. And we call that internal bias. So when I, when I got going back to the, the, the job opportunity example at linkage, when my inner critic, and that was in a, it was in a one down and one down is we're very critical or judgmental of ourself. And it can shut us down because the voice in our head is so loud. We, it prevents us from taking action. So in this case, I was in one down. And when I got in touch with what is that inner critic grounded in, we need to look at internal bias. And I clearly had an internal bias. It was a belief that was not serving me. I mean, sometimes internal biases serve you very well. In this case, the bias was you can't be a good mom with a CEO job or a big job. Um, you can't be a CEO unless you've managed the financials from top to bottom, which is when you stop and pause and look at those, either one of those biases on its own, you can kind of dissect them and say, well, wait a minute, I've run huge jobs in publicly traded companies. Was I the type of mom I wanted to be there? And, you know, the truth is most of the time I was. Um, or um, do I really need to be a CEO, uh, to have been a CEO if I if I have never been a CEO, well, when you start to think about it that way, every man who's a CEO had to have a first time CEO job, right? So you start to dissect these things. But here's the internal bias that most women really struggle to overcome, especially when they're in one down in that inner critic. And it's this, um, if it's going to get done right, I have to do it all myself mm -hmm. or I have to be perfect. Now, again, it may be external bias or society or family putting those pressures on you, but that those internal biases are preventing us from being all we can be. And I'll pause there for a second and get your perspective. I haven't yet talked about one up, and that's when we project judgment um, toward others. And that also can cloud our voices in our head. Well, I think, you know, look, it's just a comment, but I think with, with um, leadership um, and time and wisdom, uh, comes trust. And the reality is, is trust is such a huge element associated with delegation. Uh, that's what leaders need to do. They need to trust the people that are around them. They need to feel like they have a good team. And 
you know, I was listening to a podcast that Tim Ferriss did, and it, it, it was interesting. He was speaking about his own trust issues, but the trust issue is an inner critic because it's saying you can, you have to do it for it to be right. And he is authoring a book right now with somebody who wouldn't mention who it was because I think it's probably a big name. First book that he's authored in seven years, co-authored. He's never co-authored a book, period. But he finally found enough trust to be able to co-author a book. Now, you might say, well, co-authoring a book isn't anything like running a company. To a degree, it is when you have a team coming together to do it. It is. And the reason I mention this is because trust is such a big thing. Um, and I want to take you back a bit uh, in your career because you wrote about this in the book. Uh, you speak about this great story when you were the public relations manager for Coca-Cola. And your first assignment was to manage a new media and branding for Coca-Cola's title sponsorship for the Olympic Torch Rally. Uh, can you relate the story for the listeners and the point about women being able to take charge and take care, because I think this was just like, it, it's it's perfect timing for this question. <laughs> so this is, a, this is a big one. And, um, and, and I'd like, I'm going to tell you the inner critic, the, uh, the um, double bind story. And then I'm going to come back to the trust issue and bring it full circle because mm -hmm. um, women more than men do face trust challenges in letting go but we call it the reason why we have a hard time letting go may be different for men. So I'm going to plant that seed because I want to come back to a really critical foundational story that illustrates why women have these unique challenges we call hurdles. And the, the story I'm going to tell you is grounded in the double bind. So let me introduce the concept. And that is, uh, this is a very well-researched concept. I think it comes to life better with a story, but it's the idea that women unlike men, have to be seen as fulfilling the stereotypes of both a leader and a woman. Now, when you layer in other forms of underrepresentation, like, like race or ethnicity or disability or sexuality, it becomes what's called the triple bind. But for simplicity, let's talk about this. The expectations we all have in the stereotype of a leader in our mind, um, and it doesn't matter who you are, we all picture a athletic, strong, white man, usually a handsome one. And the characteristics we associate with that are you know, strong and assertive and competitive and ambitious. So we are expected as women to fulfill those stereotypes of a leader, but we're also expected to fulfill the stereotypes that we all hold of being a woman. And that is sweet, soft, kind, collaborative. And unlike men, the expectation is that we can be one or the other, but not both. So if a woman is too masculine and fulfilling the stereotype of leader, we're often, um, we're often described as too aggressive or too assertive um, and not likable enough for that job. But if we fulfill the stereotype of a woman um, and they see us in that way, then we're too soft or we're not ready because we're not tough enough for that job. And so we're constantly toggling between these expectations and men don't have to face that. So here's the story. I was in my, this is 27 years ago. I'm in my mid twenties and I am trying to prove myself in my first incredible role at the Coca-Cola company. 
Um, you may remember it was 1996. The Macarena was the number one song of the summer. And it was my job to ensure that the Coca-Cola rings, the, the Coca-Cola, um, sorry, the Coca-Cola brand was associated with the Olympic rings and the Olympic flame. So Coca-Cola paid millions of dollars to be the title sponsor. We took the Olympic flame across 42 states, 15,000 miles, 10,000 torch um, with 10,000 torchbearers over about three months. And when we landed at the um, the uh, at the Atlanta Coca-Cola headquarters, now realized I had fought my way through three months of really being a little bit competitive with the Olympic organizing committee because they don't want the Olympic rings tarnished by any corporate branding, but we wanted the corporate branding aligned to the Olympic rings. So I had a nemesis who was the head of communications at um, the organizing committee, and he came up to my boss and um, said to him, that Jennifer Shear is like a cupcake with a razor blade inside. <laughs> my boss relayed that to me with great humor and joy and thought it was a massive compliment. But I'll tell you that image has never left my mind of being mm -hmm. described as a cupcake what a, with a razor blade. Would a man ever be described that way? I doubt it. I really doubt it. And I hope that's, I hope I was, we have Halloween coming up here. I hope that you were talking about it. I was like, oh my gosh, don't give up cupcakes with razor blades. But I get the analogy, right? That you had two sides of yourself. And I think, you know, you have to learn how to coexist um, with these elements as a strong leader, as a woman. And, you know, I think this is really important because one of the things that's talked about today is loneliness and happiness and how people are coping with all of this, all of the challenges they're facing in this ever evolving uh, modernity that we're living in today. Um, you know, and you and I both have a similar mentor and it's Marshall Goldsmith. And he was on here not recently speaking about the same topic. And he helped you understand the achieve, that achievement and happiness are independent variables. Um, and I think this is so important. Could you speak to the women and men yeah. about the independence of these two variables? Because, you know, it is, I say all the time, if you're expecting somebody else to make you happy, you're never going to be happy. Uh, because it isn't someone else's job to make you happy. Um, achievement, on the other hand, you know, is like, hey, well, I'm supposed to be this great leader, great woman, and I'm supposed to be happy, and I'm not always happy, and I'm not always achieving what I want. Uh, so speak about those two independent variables. Yeah, and the, and the context of that in my book um, and, and yes, Marshall Goldsmith is a dear friend and mentor and coach to me. Um, and he did help me see the, the trap that I was falling in with what we call the proving your value hurdle. And um, you made a really important comment a minute ago, so I don't want to, I want to gloss over it. You said, look, we're all, you know, women need to be multifaceted and demonstrate both sides of themselves. I would extend that and say, look, we're all multifaceted. Right. It's, it's OK mm -hmm. for men to actually demonstrate more of that cupcake side. And it's OK for women to demonstrate more of that mm -hmm. razor. Exactly. Side. So pointing exactly. that now at the topic that you just raised. And I'm, and I'm glad you talked to Marshall, because when you talk about this independent variables of achievement and happiness, 
The way it comes to life for women in what we call the proving your value hurdle, and by the way, it's the number one hurdle that women face. So we spend a lot of time here. And it stems from the belief that if I just put my head down and work harder and harder and harder and harder without pausing to celebrate, without pausing to ensure that people notice me in my competence, then I will blank. I will be happy. I will get the promotion. I will get the raise. I will get the resources. And so the tendency of the women is to believe that if I keep achieving, then some dangling carrot of a reward will come. Again, I'm not saying that men don't do that. I'm saying that for women, it creates this cycle of perfection, exhaustion, burnout, and unlikely that people will see you and reward you. Mm-hmm. And so the the story I have here actually, and this is where, you know, where, where Marshall helps me, um, you know, helps me pause so that I can reflect the, this, this book that was, uh, has just been launching. Uh, I got about four weeks ago, I got multiple boxes dropped right onto, um, my doorstep. I wasn't expecting them. They were about a month early. So I opened the door and there are all these boxes. And I looked at my husband and I said, I think, I think this is the book. And so we drag all the boxes in, we open them up. I hold them up. I I said, social media, take a picture, take a video, done, 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 check the box. I put them down and I said, I got to get back to work. And it was this, I need to move on to the next thing. Mm. And I stopped myself. It took me a while. It took me about 24 hours to realize it was an incredible achievement. And I needed to honor the achievement for that achievement. I needed to celebrate. But that Mm -hmm. achievement on its own was not going to make me happy. I had already rushed off to do the next thing, thinking that if I could check one more thing off my list, then I would be happy. Now, the good news is when you're aware of this, you can stop yourself much faster. So what I did, and it was the, it was the U.S. Open, it was the Coco Golf winning, uh, winning final match. I invited some girlfriends over and I said, this is going to be a celebration. Coco Golf is going to win the U.S. Open and we are going to celebrate the launch of this book. And you know what? That is where happiness came from. Well, I think it's a great story because it does come from you pausing, reflecting, and understanding the achievement, right? Um, to just move on. It was, I'm glad you did that because it's so valuable. Um, I think if you actually look at, I would tell every author this because I've been doing this now 17 years and I've had thousands of books across my transit, some better than others, some a little worse. But the point is, is that if you actually looked at what it took for you to write, edit, create the cover, come together with this team, And here's the part I think many authors don't, uh, and I happen to actually see this from Brian Johnson the other day. He's got a new book out. How it's manufactured. How does the book go through the press system, right? And he actually took videos into where the people were putting the books together to actually string in his own mind what it was like to get those books on your doorstep right? For that book to show up at Amazon, for all the people that are involved in this process, and to send blessings to everybody out there who's helping you get that book. So I I think that um, it's it's really, and that really comes down to this. um, You know, you mentioned that once you've anchored, 
how do you bring value? The book is already value. You mentioned that we should categorize our work into four segments. And you did this on page 110, which I'm sure you remember because you've been through it. But I wanted you to mention those four segments. And then I'd like us to wrap up this interview with you summing up three takeaways that you'd like to leave the listeners with about leadership, personal growth, and creating a purpose and meaning uh, in their life, right? So that's a a small question, Greg. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, look, if you've been working with Marshall Goldsmith, you certainly have been working on your own personal purpose (laughs) and bringing meaning in your life. (laughs) I love it. I love you. Um, So I actually like how we've been swimming around the inner critic and this proving your value hurdle. As I mentioned, the proving your value hurdle is the, the hardest one for women. Um, and, And the story of the book and honoring and blessing everybody, including yourself that has been through the whole process is such an important, it would, it would have been one of my three lessons at the end, had we not just talked about it. Um, But, but this is one of the ways to move out of this cycle of perfectionism and putting your head down and doing it all yourself is to lift up and enjoy the, enjoy each piece of the process. So going back to writing a book, it took me six months to write the book. You know, could I, did I, did I stop? with every completed chapter, bless the chapter, bless the team that worked on it alongside of me, and then move in after six months into the editing process where it comes back again and again in each round, could I enjoy and celebrate that piece? We're in the launch process now. This is the ending of this book coming into the world. You know, mm-hmm. Did I truly enjoy the entire 18 month process as opposed to wishing it to a destination. And I think that's really valuable for any stage of life or any work that you're doing in the world. Okay. So how do you get around this propensity to put your head down, do too much, and perhaps take on more than you can, which leads to burnout and the, uh, or don't think you're valuable enough. I want to add that because, you know, look, that's that inner critic again, right? Uh, That's the ego side of us that's saying you're not enough you got to bring more value so that's when the books arrived you spent two minutes you went on to the next thing because you didn't believe you were bringing enough value but then 24 hours later you turned around came back and realized that how important was it for you really to savor in that with your friends and and i think that's that's a really look if all our listeners take away is that from this whole interview uh, it was worth the time we spent. You know what, Greg, you just helped me. I think we're onto something here and this might be another <laughs> internal bias that I'm holding because we've been talking about this, this happiness achievement, independent variable, variable thing. Like I will be happy when, but I think it's equally, you could, it's, you could remove happiness and you could say, I will be worth it when I will be valued when. And I think that's the inner critic as well. And that deep-seated internal bias where our value is really defined by our accomplishments or our happiness is really defined by our accomplishments. And this is how all of us, but again, this is a huge challenge with women, our tendency to put our heads down and hope and believe people will see us, people will value us, people will notice us and give us something, <laughs> the reward, the right. money, the job. But here, here's how we get around that. And this is page 110. And this is 
uh, you know, clarity is really helpful with this. If I'm going back to our uh, designing your life question, if I'm really clear about what I want, what success looks like for me about my life purpose, then you can look at your calendar and you can look at all of the things that are dragging you down and keeping you so very busy with your head down, trying to prove your value. And you can isolate them into four categories. And I did, I do this again and again, and I just did it this past year. Um, the first is, you know, where, where do I need to focus and shine? And this is, I can't let it go. I can't let it go because I'm uniquely able to do it. And you have to really be uniquely able. Um, so for me, writing the book as the primary author was something that I could not let go. It was mine to hold. So here you want to really focus and shine. But then there are other parts of your, your work or your life where you can advise and consult. Doesn't mean you can't be a part of it, but you don't have to own it. So an example here is, you know, my husband is actually an incredible shopper. He dresses me, in fact. So it's up to me to, to help him see that, you know, our, uh, our, our last child at home is growing so quickly that he's out of his genes. Do you think that Hunter needs some new pants? But I can let that go and completely believe that Hunter and Chip will figure out the best pair of pants for him. I don't have mm -hmm. to get involved with that, which also means I can't criticize it, right? I have to fully let him own it. Um, that gets back to the delegate and empower. You know, advise and consult. I might have a perspective. I might notice something. Delegate as empower is, is saying, look, this is for my team. You can take this. The budget for the book we created together, you can manage the budget. I trust you to do that and stay out of their way. And then finally, the quick and easy. I don't love expense reports. I don't love administrative tasks. I don't love writing performance reviews. I love delivering performance reviews. So what can I do really quickly and easily to get out? I have to do it, uh, but to then to really focus on the, the places that, that light me up. So for me, I spend a lot less time doing the administration, a lot more time engaging my staff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that helpful? you know, it was very helpful. And I, and I think Jennifer, look, um, self-compassion, reduction of anger, when I say reduction of anger, you know, people, when things don't go right, oftentimes the way they expect it to go, they first thing that happens is the emotion of anger. It's like, oh, it should have been better. And so I'm angry. Why did this happen this way? But if you are having compassion and something just came across my transit this morning um, about Thich Nhat Hanh, there's a book that some lady has written around that or the Dalai Lama, when you see him laughing all the time, you know, he's constantly laughing. And I come from a background in spiritualness, which is around Eastern philosophies. And I look at this part about attachment and how it creates anger uh, because you get frustrated, you get angry. But to have compassion, and women in particular are the species that's supposed to be more compassionate, more loving, more caring, more nurturing, more whatever we're going to use the worm to describe it. And I think it's so important for everybody to take away, the man as well as the woman, that this is something we all can have and we all need to actually heal as a society, is more compassion and more understanding for one another, for greater clarity of communication with our teams, with the world, with how we send that email out to that next person. Um, so 
If you would, because this was kind of the sum up question for the interview, I think leadership, personal growth, and creating purpose and meaning in our life is really the most important thing. Um, and when we get this right, um, we become not only an example to ourselves, but to an example to others to actually say, okay, uh, I like that Jennifer McCollum, what she's doing and what she stands for. Um, what would you tell people today that you'd want them to take away from your book? I, lo I love where, I, I love picking up where you leave off. This has been this has been a beautiful mm -hmm. back and forth. Um, this idea of compassion, compassion for self, compassion for others, is at the root of the inner critic. So the first thing that I would want people to take away with uh, take away is make the investment, make the investment in yourself to stop and to become more self aware and to become more compassionate for yourself. For me, that took really really looking at my my life design and trying to figure out where do i shine where do i thrive and then being honest about where i don't and so moving toward what's bringing me energy and what's bringing me purpose and that creates a better contribution either as a leader as a mother as a as a friend as a partner so that's number 1 um number 2 i would say seek clarity because when you identify through self-awareness that 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 purpose and passion, how it manifests in the world, there is there are unlimited ways that it can manifest. And I like what you said about we don't have to be too attached to the outcome, but I do like to be attached to the story of what success looks like. Because when you can share that story with others, again, it can be success at work, it can be success in relationship, it can be sex, success in health or spirituality. When you share that with others, the universe really naturally creates energy for you to achieve that. And I have countless stories of things, and you do too, of things falling into place seemingly impossibly. But I believe it's because we've set that intention and put that energy forward. And then the last thing I would say is surround yourself with people mm -hmm. who lift you up, who support you. I didn't tell you the end of that story with the inner critic, but I'd like to end with it now. When I was stuck and the inner critic was so loud that I couldn't even throw my hat into the ring for the CEO job, it was two men in my life who were peers at the publicly traded company. We were all, our company had been acquired and we were all looking for new roles. And as I was talking through this opportunity with them and saying, I'm not going to interview for the job, they sat me down and they said, Jennifer, if we believe that we're ready for a private equity-backed CEO role, why do you believe you're not ready? If not now, when? when? <laughs> yeah, great story. You know, look, you've covered a lot of ground. And for my listeners, will you hold up a copy of the book again in her own voice? There you go. There you go. A Woman's Rise to CEO, Overcoming the Hurdles. Jennifer, it's been an honor and a pleasure having you on and being able to speak about the book, your personal stories and journeys, as well as the personal stories and journeys of other women as well, which you've related in the book through research and through your wisdom and knowledge of having dealt uh, with so many women. I appreciate having you on Inside Personal Growth, uh, sharing your story. And for all of my listeners, we're going to have a link uh, so that you can go get this book. Uh, it will be at Amazon. Uh, we also have a link 
to the SHRM page. It's shrm.org, and we're going to put a link there because there's a great profile of Jennifer, as well as the website. Um, if you have any need to reach out to Jennifer, go to that website, send her a personal email and let her know. And by most importantly, go to Amazon. And after you've read this book, leave a review for Jennifer uh, about the book as well, uh, because that helps others really understand uh, that you liked the book, what you liked about the book. And if you didn't like something about the book, that's okay too. But um, we appreciate everybody listening. Jennifer, thank you so much. Namaste to you. Have a wonderful rest of your tour with your book. It was fun having you on and being able to dialogue about the book and all the stories. Thanks. Thank you, Greg. I so appreciate the work you're doing in the world. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.